Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning, everyone. We're, uh, Fran and I are really excited. Um, you might not have noticed this, but uh, we survived. As of this week, we no longer have teenagers. <laughs> and so, yeah, we're, we're really pleased about that. My dad told me years ago that one of your first jobs, Doug, is just to get them through alive. And... Um, I, I, uh, I'm not sure if I agree. I think maybe one of the first jobs is to just get yourself through alive. And then maybe you can help them as well. But anyways, yeah, we're, we're uh, excited about that. I'm excited about this new series. But before we dive into it, let's, uh, let's just pray. Ask God to come speak to us as we get into his word. Father, today again, we are so thankful for the opportunity to be here together. Lord, for the opportunity that we have to come to you and worship together corporately, the difference that that adds to our lives, the the benefit, the added benefit that we have of being able to pursue you as a group, not just individually. And so this morning, as we take this time now, we pray that you would come and by your spirit that you would work, that you would take this time and that you would use it for our good. And so to that end, again, I pray and I ask this all by way of your son, Jesus Christ, and for his sake, amen. So Bruce launched us off last week on this new series, Choose Your Adventure, Your Own Adventure. And man, I think he did just an amazing job of that. The series is based on Josiah. And if you didn't catch the first message, I would encourage you to go back and check that out because it was an excellent message in and of itself. And then it also just did a really good of leading us into this series. And what we're going to be doing is looking at four decisions that Josiah made in his life that we do well to look at, to consider for ourselves, learn how to apply them in our own lives. Now, life is full of decisions, isn't it? Life is really a series of decisions that we make in many respects. Last week, I made a really bad one. I, um, in one of the services, maybe both of them, I referred to Bruce as the best-looking person on staff. And what happened was that shortly thereafter, I was contacted by a delegation of the ladies on staff And I've come to understand that Bruce is actually the fourth best-looking person on staff. (laughs) And so, lesson learned. Decisions are important, and and we need to recognize when we make bad ones, regroup and start over again. So I'm going to do my best to to continue on with that. Bruce is the fourth best-looking person on staff. Now, Bruce looked at Josiah's first decision last week, which was to say, that Josiah chose to seek God. 
And that's where it started for Josiah, and that's where it should start for us. The best decision that we can make in our lives is to choose to seek God. So again, if you didn't see that message, go back and check it out. This morning, we're going to look at Josiah's second decision, and that we again do well as we pattern ourselves after him in this as well. Josiah, secondly, chose to purge the idols from Jerusalem and Judah. So we see this as we continue on in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, starting in verse 3b. So if you have your Bibles with me, with you, I'd turn, encourage you to turn with me to that. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you. It'll be on the screen, and we'll pick it up right there. So 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 3b, all the way to 7. There it says this, In his twelfth year... He began to purge Judah, that's Josiah, began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, and idols. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. These he broke into pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars, and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. And then he went back to Jerusalem. Now, Josiah is an interesting dude. One of the sharper pencils in the drawer I would submit to you today. Last week we saw that from the, uh, the, the, in the beginning of verse 3, we're told that Josiah started seeking God in his eighth year. And this morning, we see that four years later, He begins a purge of Jerusalem and Judah to get rid of all of the idols in the land. Now, that's really interesting. Number one, this dude was young, 12 years old, and he's making some really significant decisions. There's a lot of us that are a lot older than that that haven't made as good of decisions. And so that in and of itself, I think, just bears our attention But also just note for a second here that Josiah started by seeking God. He started by seeking God, and that's where it needs to start for us. And four years later, he recognizes now that there's something else that needs to be done. In his pursuit of God, there's something else that needs to be done. So just take note here that we don't get it right at the beginning all the time, every time. As smart as Josiah apparently was, and I think he was a pretty sharp cookie, it took him a little while to put this together. And it's going to take you and I a little bit of time in our journey, in our lives as well, to work out our faith and to understand the fullness of what God is calling us to. So as we're sitting here this morning, keep that in the back of your mind, that this journey of faith is a journey for all of us. 
And that as we engage with God, as we seek him, then it, he builds into our lives. He continues to speak into our lives. And day by day, as we sincerely seek him, he'll open up our eyes to what he is calling us to do. And so that's, that's a really interesting point and something that we have to be careful of. So oftentimes we get down on ourselves because we haven't got it all figured out. Don't do that. Don't let Satan mess with your head that way. Just keep moving forward and God will show you. This morning we're going to try and take a look at three things that we can learn from Isaiah, three insights that we can gain from Josiah, I mean, three insights that we can gain from Josiah as we see him purge the land of idols. And the first one is this, that Josiah astutely concluded that seeking God means more than merely adding him into our equation. That seeking God means more than just adding God to our mix. Okay? Every bit as much, it means purging ourselves of anything and everything else that will subvert him in our lives. As we seek God, we have to recognize that we have to get rid of the things in our life that will subvert God in our lives and subvert us from following him, pursuing him. Which is to say that we have to get rid of everything that's going to keep us from becoming like God, from assuming his character, from adopting his standards, and from choosing his perspective, his views. Now for some of us that come to God at a point in time when we're not doing so well, when things in our world are rough, difficult, well, Purging, then, isn't such a bad thing. Sometimes that's a welcome thing. We can look at our lives and go, oh, man, I've got problems, I've got issues. I'm happy to get rid of whatever I need to. But for a lot of us, that's not the case. For a lot of us, we think that we're doing pretty well. And even as we see our need for God, we see that in limited terms. For the most part, we're good people and we're doing good things, but I've got a couple of little problems. I've got a couple of little areas where I need him. And so we come to God thinking that we can just add him in. And we miss the point that what we need is to purge our lives. It goes right over our heads. And, and honestly, this morning, it's not a message that's often preached in churches nowadays this isn't a message that we typically hear today more often than not we have this idea and we preach this idea of Jesus coming into our lives and as we allow him to tinker around in some of the areas where we need help which is to say when I die that then he'll just make my life a little bit better that he can come in and he can just kind of do a little torque over here and a little shim over there and we're going to be better, that we'll be okay. So we approach God, we come to God from the perspective of allowing him into our lives to just do a little tune-up, to just help us out in a couple of little areas. But we fail to understand that that's not the way that God works. We think that God's a good guy. 
we think that he's going to come in and he's just going to help us be a little bit better. But God is not in the tune-up business. We need to understand today that God is only in the complete overhaul business. All he's interested in is a complete overhaul of you and I today to turn us into the people that he desires us to be. And that that's not going to be just a little bit of tinkering. That's not going to be just a little bit of jimmy-rigging here and there. But that it's going to be a complete overhaul. It doesn't matter how good we think we are. As we come to God, we have to recognize that we are nowhere near good enough as best as we are. And we need to then be understanding that God is coming in with the perspective of changing us, thoroughly, radically renovating us. We've lost sight, I think, of the fact that God is holy. Maybe we've just not spent enough time talking about it. That God is holy. And that as that being the case, with that being the case, that he cannot and that he will not abide anything outside of holiness. And so, for you and I today, holiness means a lot more than just tinkering. It means a thorough overhaul. Anything that is not good and pure has got to go. And so God comes in with the perspective of rooting that out of us, whatever's impure, whatever's not good, he's going to root out in order that he can reestablish what is good and what is pure for you and I. We also often think that somehow our good is good enough, that God's awesome, and he'll recognize that I'm doing pretty well and that he's going to be content with that. And as we maintain that view as we subscribe to that idea, we're just leading ourselves towards a world of hurt. What we try and do is we try and redefine God according to our standards. And as we do that, we come away disappointed because God doesn't slip into that form doesn't just happily conform to that mold. And as that happens, then we get disillusioned with God because God's not doing what we want want him to do. He's not fitting into my program. And as we come along and as we look at God, and we decide that we can choose, that we can pick what we want to believe about him, that he is good and that he is loving, And therefore, then I can do what I want. Well, we open ourselves up to a world of hurt. As as we deny the authority of God's word, we begin to adopt the idea that I don't have to change. And as a result of that, 
then I just ignore or omit parts of Scripture that I don't like. Because I don't want to have to change. I don't want to have to deal with that. So it would be better that I just undermine the authority of God's Word. That I would just detract from that. Negate that as an authority in my life so that I can carry on the way that I want to go. Bruce is going to talk about this more, than, more next week. You don't want to miss next week. It's a long weekend. I'm challenging right now. Don't miss it. Plan to be here. Wherever you are, plan to take time. Tune in online so that you can catch that message. It's going to be really, really good and really, really important. So we think that we can mold God the way that we want to, and God comes along and says, no way, I'm not having any of that. It's just not the way that I roll. And that's not to say this morning, that's not to say this morning that he won't accept us. Jesus stands before every one of us today saying that God wants relationship with us and that he wants us to come to him. So God's not saying that he won't accept us. That's not what this is saying at all. But what this is to say is that as we come to him, when we truly desire him and seek for him, like Josiah, it's going to mean an overhaul for you and I. It's going to take a purge in our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, as I heard those types of words, I would chafe at that. I pushed back at that in my life. I knew I needed God. I recognized I was a sinner. I recognized that I was in serious guacamole if I were to die without him because I had nothing to stand before God with. And so as I recognized what Christ had done for me, I, I know, knew I needed him for that. But as I would hear stuff along the lines of, well, you have to give God complete control of your life. You have to turn your whole life over to him. You have to let him into every area of your life so that he could be number one. Honestly, like, I mean, honestly, that just did not square with me. It didn't sit well with me at all. I would chafe at that. And if I'm being 100% honest, if I put all my cards on the table, honestly, what that sounded to me was like a cult. That sounded to me like Jonestown, man. What I'd read about all these other cults. That what God wants us to do is that he wants, to come, uh, he wants us to come to him and then just sort of check out. That we should just drink the Kool-Aid. Turn into a zombie. Wander around in some sort of a mental coma after that. Humming hymns or something or other. And, and I, I struggled with that for a long, long time. Yeah, God, I want you. I recognize my need for you. But leave me some space here where I can do my thing. I need to be me. I need a little bit of room to maneuver. Don't cramp my style. I'll give you a little bit, but not the whole deal. It just seems so drastic. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. 
as I engaged with him more, I came to realize two things. Over time, they become so clear to me. Number one, it has to be God's way. Not because he's got a problem, but because I do. Not just a problem, but a lot of problems. It's not that he was saying, it's got to be my way because that's just the deal. But he was saying, Doug, in my goodness, you got to let me do this because, dude, you're just not ready. You just don't got it. You've got problems. You've got struggles. You've got issues. You've got issues that you don't even know are issues, buddy. And so the only way that this is going to work for you is if you let me. Let me call the shots. How about it? And slowly, little bit by little bit, not that I'm there yet by any stretch, I am so far from being a poster child for Jesus. Like all the time, you just recognize more and more how far you fail in that level. But over time, as I allowed him a little bit more latitude, a little bit more space, and as I continue to do that, the second thing has dawned on me and that that's that I can trust him. That I can trust him. Because as I allow him to have more control, I've found him faithful in that. My life hasn't gotten worse. I haven't turned into a zombie. It's not drudgery. It's not monotony. It's actually more and more fulfilling feels more and more real to me, life. I'm better for having given him that space. In Matthew 26, or sorry, verse, in Matthew 6, verse 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. The long and the short of it is that we can't serve God and something or someone else in our lives. And that's not because he's a tyrant. It's just because it's simply true. And that's what I've come to appreciate about Jesus, about God, is that he's not just making arbitrary demands. As he lays down these stipulations for us, these prerequisites for us, what I've found is that they're there because they're just simply true. And that I can chafe and I can fight against them, but it doesn't change the fact that they're true. And so I'm better to submit sooner and allow him to do his thing so that I can benefit from them. Mark 12, verse 30, calls us to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And Josiah astutely recognized that to do that 
means that we need to purge the idols from our lives. The second insight that we gain this morning from Josiah in his purging of the idols is that we need to be thorough. As we see Josiah purge the idols and as we recognize what he's doing, then we also need to take note of the fact that he didn't do it half-baked. He went after it, and he purged the idols. He got it done. And here, I would refer you, now instead of Second Chronicles, I would refer you back to Second Kings, verse, or chapter 23, verses 4 to 20. This, is, this provides us with a, a much more comprehensive list of what Josiah did, what his purge involved. And so, we don't have time to look at that this morning and to read through it all. So, if you would, allow me to just try and summarize it quickly for us this morning. This is what Josiah's purge of idols looked like. Josiah removed from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar, Baal was the chief god of the Canaanites, and he was a god of fertility for crops and animals and for people as well. So he was a big deal in ancient worship because people wanted fertility in all of those areas because that led to the better life. All of those things ended up paying significant dividends. So Baal was a deal. And Asherah, when you see that, and when we talk about Asherah poles, in Scripture, when you read that, Asherah was a Canaanite god as well, female, for, uh, she was a goddess, I guess, for f- fertility as well. And so Asherah poles were symbols or they were monuments to her, recognition of her, tributes to her. So Josiah comes in and he starts to purge the land of these things. Secondly, he did away with the idolatrous priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem. Those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and to the moon and to the constellations and to all the starry hosts. So Josiah's purge now goes into some of the priests that were involved in false worship. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes that were in the temple of the Lord, the quarters where the women did weaving for Asherah. For those, again, that maybe aren't familiar, shrine prostitutes. What we're talking about there was for Baal and for Asherah, they believed that sexual acts performed in the temple increased their own sexual prowess. So the the sexual prowess of Baal and Asherah. And so they established prostitutes in the temples so that you could go in there, take part, do your part to help the gods and goddesses, help Baal and Asherah out. Kind of convenient that some people really like that themselves. So it was a pretty handy two-way street there. So Josiah comes along, he says, no, enough of that. 
going to get rid of this. Next, Josiah brought all the priests from the towns of Judah and desecrated the high places from Geba to Beersheba. He desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinnon, so no one could use it to sacrifice their son or their daughter in the fire to Moloch. Topheth was a town, was a place known for child sacrifice. He removed from the entrance to the temple of the Lord the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. By this time, as you're reading through the, the account of the kings of Judah, kings of Israel for that matter, you'll see that they had desecrated everything. They had messed up the worship of God six ways from Sunday. They'd introduced all kinds of stuff to the temple even, God's temple, to pervert it, introduce the worship of other gods. So Josiah comes along and he gets rid of these horses that had been dedicated to the sun. He pulled down the altars that the kings of Judah had erected on the roof near the upper room of Ahaz and the altars Manasseh had built in the two courts of the temple of the Lord. Manasseh even had built other altars in the courts of the temple to other gods. Josiah comes along and says, this is all going to change. He tears it down. The king also desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem on, on the south of the hill of corruption. The one Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the vile goddess of the Sidonians, for Chemish, the vile god of Moab, and for Moloch, the detestable god of the people of Amnon. Even Solomon had perverted the worship of God, the smartest guy ever to ever live. He got messed up in his head. What had happened there is he got into this whole idea of having a bunch of women, concubines and wives, hundreds of them. And he used them as an option or a, as a, a mechanism to form alliances with other people. And as he did that, as he invited their daughters into his harem, well, then he would adopt some of their religious practices in order to build a treaty with these other people and perverted the whole system. Ashtoreth was a Sidonian goddess of war. He invites her in, encourages the people to start to worship her. Chemish was the god of the nation of Moab. It was also worshipped by the Ammonites. And Moloch was the chief god of the nation of Amnon, the Ammonites. And the worship of Moloch and Chemish were notorious, Moloch especially, but Chemish as well, were notorious for child sacrifice. Where people would sacrifice their kids to these gods. It's particularly detestable to God. Josiah continued, even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam, son of Nabat, who had caused Israel to sin, even that altar and high place Josiah demolished. And this was significant because Bethel was where Jacob had met with God, their ancestor had met with God, and built an altar to him there. But since that time, the kings had turned Bethel into a high place of worship to false gods. And Josiah comes in and, and deals with that as well. And finally, just as he had done at Bethel, Josiah removed all the shrines at the high places that the kings of Israel had built in the towns of Samaria and that had aroused the Lord's anger. 
So Josiah got after it. As he recognized that a purge was necessary, he went for it. He was all in on that. And in fact, in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 33, we see that sometime later he took another spin through the country again to make sure that they had got it all. Nothing had cropped up since the last time that he had done this. So he was determined to do this purge, to get it done and to get it done right. Oftentimes in Scripture, as we read about other kings, we see that they made a a half-hearted attempt to purge the idols from the country. They carried it out in some respects, but not all. And as they left things, it spelt trouble for them because it continued to give Satan a foothold. The problem is this morning that we don't have to look at just Scripture to see that this is the case. So oftentimes we can look at our lives as well. We know that we've got to deal with some stuff. As we pursue God, we start to recognize that I've got some issues and that this shouldn't be the situation in my life right now. But then we do a half-baked job of addressing it. Sometimes we're just too lazy because we know it's going to be work. That it's going to mean that we're going to have to actually buckle down and we're going to have to be disciplined to get this done. There's going to be mean, bad, and ugly because I'm going to have to look into some areas of my life that I don't like to look into because I know that there's a problem there. And so we just avoid it. And we leave it sit there. Sometimes maybe we're just not convinced enough to do a proper job. Maybe we look around and we're just a little too afraid still that life is going to be now all doom and gloom, that it's going to be monotony and drudgery, just like I thought. So we do a little tidying. We sweep a little here. We dust a little there. But we don't get at it. We don't get it all done. We don't bring out the mop. Maybe we're afraid of what others are going to think. I should really get rid of that in my life. But that would be way too noticeable. My golf buddies are going to recognize that I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. The girls at work are going to notice that that's not part of my world anymore. That's going to mean that I'm going to have to talk about it because they're going to ask me, and I don't want to get into that because it's just, that's just out there too far, so we, we're embarrassed. So we let some things continue to just sort of fester in our worlds. Maybe we just don't fully trust God. Maybe we're hedging our bets. Well, what if, it, what if it, this isn't really necessary? And I'll have gotten rid of it for nothing, and I'm really kind of enjoying it, so I'm just going to hang on to a bit of it. So we leave some of these little areas, and sure enough, they come back to bite us on the butt. We do some cleaning. Then we go back to God and we say, hey God, look at this, I'm doing better. 
Look at me. I'm making progress. And we're making progress. But as we play that game with God, you need to know that God's not playing that game back. He knows our heart. He's not buying it when we're saying, hey, look, I'm doing pretty good when he knows that I'm hanging on to this over here. Maybe God is talking to you right now. Maybe as I'm up here blabbering away, God's actually talking to your heart today. And he's talking to you about the things that you're hanging on to. The idols in your life that you're not quite ready to give up on yet. A relationship in your world. Some material items that you're not ready to get rid of. That are just more important than giving it all to God. Maybe it's where you've purged your closet, but you haven't purged your phone. Listen to God today. If he's talking to you, don't ignore that. As he points it out, respond to him. Get serious with him. Hebrews 12.1 says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Josiah got it. Everything had to go. So it went. The last insight that we'll look at this morning is that Josiah was emphatic about purging the idols. And let me summarize, try and summarize here again. Here we see that the Asherah pole and the articles from the temple of other gods, he burned. And then as if that wasn't enough, then he ground it into powder. What was left, he ground into powder. He did away with the idolatrous priests of the kings of Judah. We look at that and we think to ourselves, man, that seems a little cruel. But you need to understand, these guys were serious about subverting people. Their, their whole world revolved around getting people to follow them, which was exactly the opposite of God. And Josiah looked at that and said, no dice. These guys got to go. Because if I'm not serious about this, then it's going to actually result in a world of hurt for a lot more people than just them. So he got after that. Josiah pulled down the altars Ahaz and Manasseh had built and smashed the sacred stones and threw the rubble in the Kidron Valley. So he pulls them down, then he smashes them, and then he hauls it all out to the junk pile. He desecrated the high places Solomon had built and cut down the Asherah pole, smashed the sacred stones, and covered the sites with human bones, which at that time was a sign of desecration. Nobody would touch that area because the bones were there. If you touched that, the, that area, you were defiled. That was like horrendous. 
So Josiah comes along and says, yeah, all right, let's get at it. This place is an abomination. We're going to make it an abomination. We're going to make sure everybody recognizes what it is, calls it for what it is. Then Josiah went to the altar at Bethel. He looked around, and when he saw the tombs that were there on the hillside, he had the bones removed from them. So now he comes along, and he sees this area that's an abomination to God. Well, he digs up the bones of these guys that had worshipped here. Skewers, strews those all over the place, defiles that completely, burns them, spreads it around, which happens actually to have been the fulfillment of a prophecy of a prophet 300 years earlier, which is fascinating too, because I bet you Josiah didn't even recognize that. But God's speaking in his heart. He does, he fills, follows God, fulfills a prophecy there. Then he demolished the altar, burned it down, the Asherah pole, and ground it all into powder again. Finally, Josiah removes all of the shrines of the kings of Israel that they had built in Samaria. He slaughters the priests of those shrines, and he desecrates those high places by burning human bones on them. We so oftentimes hedge our bets. Even as we recognize the need, we stop short. Well, I'm not going to throw that out. I'm just going to tuck it away in that closet in the back. Maybe I'll put it downstairs in the basement. Well, wow, this stuff is expensive. Can't just waste it. I'm going to find a way to Use that somewhere. I can't, I can't sell that. Man, I'd just take a huge loss on that right now. Just going to hang on to it. I'm not going to pay attention to it. Just going to keep it over here. Josiah. Man, he crossed this bridge and then he burned the bridge. He looked at this stuff and he said, I don't care what it's worth i got to get rid of this junk in our lives right now. We're going to get rid of this stuff. I don't care what the cost is. I don't, know, I don't care what the sacrifice is. It's all going to go. Precious stones, throw them up. Bust them up. Grind them away. Bring out the hammer. Get at it. Beautiful car, do what you got to do. Give it to somebody. Drive it off a cliff. Get rid of it. If it's keeping you from God, it's got to go. We need a little bit more of Paul's perspective today. Philippians 3, verses 7 to 9a, where he says, But wherever, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I, might, I may gain Christ and be found in him. As God points out the idols in our life, as he points out the things in our life that are keeping us from following him, we need to recognize them today as garbage. We need to lean in. We need to step in and trust God 
so that we can find what Paul found, the surpassing worth of knowing him in our lives, where our lives become real, authentic, significant, fulfilling. This morning you say, well, Doug, this is all well and good. You've just gone off for 40 minutes on something that doesn't apply to me at all. I didn't even know who Baal was, let alone Chemish and Moloch and so on and so forth. So what's the big deal? Here this morning, we don't have time to go into it today. But let me try and sum up with this. It's not just Baal. It's not just Chemish. It's not just Asherah. It's not just Moloch. Anything that we allow in our lives or that we maintain in our lives that subverts us from God in pursuing him is an idol. It can be a relationship. It can be your reputation. It can be your stuff. It can be your time. Any of these things can be idols that we have to purge, that we have to deal with before God. And what's more, it can go beyond that. In fact, listen to Paul's words to us in Colossians 3, verse 5. There he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Those things in our earthly nature that prevent us from pursuing God are idols. And here again, we see the significance of what we saw at the beginning with Josiah, which is to say that our journey of faith is a journey. Which is to say that between now and heaven, every day we've got something more to do, something more that we can be working on to purge from our lives. Just like Josiah, we've got to do a purge and then we've got to come back and do another swing through to see what's crept back in or what we didn't completely get rid of the first time. And if nothing else, we've got all of our human nature to work with, to deal with. This morning, as we look at Josiah, seek God. And then start to purge the idols from your life, just as I have to purge them from mine. Let's pray. Father God, this morning again, as we think about this, Lord, I pray that this would resonate as your voice speaking to us today. This wouldn't just be Doug talking, but that this would be you talking to us and that we would therefore by your spirit take this to heart. That you would change us as your people, that no longer would we be trying to just maneuver you and fit you into our world, manipulate you so that we can do our thing and just have you tinker around on the edges in the little areas that we give you, but rather that you would be able to do a wholesale renovation, a wholesale overhaul of our lives today. Forgive us where we haven't pursued you to the point not where we're ready to have you purge 
us. Where you're ready, where you come along and help us to purge our lives. And so God, now I pray that by your spirit that your word, word would not return to you void today, that you would use this time, the, the, uh, the example of Josiah in such a way as that we would be different people today. By your spirit, drive that message home so that you would change us so that we would be different, so that we wouldn't just hear, but that we would apply and Lord, as we do, that we would recognize the benefit, the truth that comes with that. For I ask these things all now in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for coming, everybody. Good to see you all. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.